Good morning, everyone. Welcome to the Monday, May 18th edition of the MMA OB Daily Podcast. I'm your host, as always, Adam Merton, and I'll be taking you guys through the latest in the world of mixed martial arts. Hope you guys had a great weekend. It's actually a long weekend up here in Canada, but I always work, and of course, I want to talk about MMA with you guys, so let's get right into it. Uh, I'm going to talk about UFC Florida, obviously, and a few pieces of news as well that kind of took place during the weekend, but the focus of this podcast will be on UFC on ESPN 8, Overeem vs. Harris. Let's get right into it. So overall, I thought this was a great card. I think this was one of the best cards of the year so far. I think it was really that good, especially on short notice. I mean, most of these fights were booked incredibly on short notice, like, you know, one or two weeks for some of these fights. So, you know, props to the fighters, man. The UFC matchmakers, they're the ones who put the fights together. They're the ones who, you know, book the fights. But you got to give the props to the fighters. They're the ones who stepped in the cage and, and did their job. So just an awesome card. It really was a great card. Now, there was a lot of problems with this card as far as, like, the officiating goes, the judging especially, and I'll get right into that. But uh, as far as the fights go, for the most part, they were excellent. I think it was a really good card. So let's start at the top, work our way down. You know, as far as picks go, it was actually a nice bounce back for me, 8-3, and three, so a nice bounce back after that terrible card last week uh, on Wednesday. So overall, I mean, since I come back, it's been okay, but, uh, you know, this was a nice bounce back, a nice confidence booster for my picks. Uh, but I did get the main event wrong because I didn't expect it to happen like this. Uh, Alistair Overeem knocks out Walt Harris in the second round. Um, interesting, I mean, Walt Harris definitely looked good in the first round. He almost knocked Overeem out. I thought the fight was going to be stopped, but Overeem, you know, to his credit, was able to survive that onslaught of punches. Come back in the second. Harris tired out really quick. I and mean, he, he had about five minutes of cardio. It's really hard to get too down on Walt here. I mean, he's had obviously a lot of personal tragedy. And we know that because they kept reminding us during the card. You know, I, that's one other thing I should talk about quickly. Um, a lot of fans were kind of getting sick of uh, the Walt Harris thing. And now, I understand that because they really were, I think, promoting it a little bit too much. But at the same time, like, that was kind of like the storyline heading into this card. So I think it was important to talk about that. And it was like almost uh, uh, an event that was in memory of Ania Blanchard, his daughter who was murdered. So to me, like I didn't have a problem with it, but I know some people were kind of like upset that they kept showing uh, the clips of uh, Walt Harris talking with his daughter and his family. To me, it's like not a huge deal. You know, if you don't like it, just change the channel. Like that's my, that's my opinion or, you know, do something else, turn the volume down. If you don't want to watch that to me, it wasn't okay. But uh Anyways, as far as the fight goes, yeah, so Walt Harris, he had about five minutes of gas, and I can't blame him too much for, for a bad performance because of everything that was going on, but for sure, he wasn't in the regular shape he's been in the last few fights. He didn't look in great shape. He was really tired early on. Overeem took it over quickly. Overeem, man, I mean, you got to give it up for Alistair Overeem. You know, every time I count this guy out, every, every time everyone counts this guy out, he comes back and looks amazing. He's 40 years old. He turned 40, 40 during the card, or the day after, I should say, and uh, I mean, he won three of his last four fights on by knockout. Harris, Olenek, Pavlich, they're not top five guys. They're top 15 guys. And he should have won the Yarzino fight as well. He got knocked out with four seconds left. Had he won that fight, he'd be on a four-fight win streak. So as crazy as it sounds right now, considering he was just knocked out and has lip busted open, I don't think Alistair is that far away from a title shot in the heavyweight division right now. Of course, Stipe and DC are holding up the division, and we got Francis after that, but... You know, Overeem's not that far back. I think he's ranked like eighth or ninth right now. Like, he's not that far back. So, you know, another win or two against a big contender, Alistair Overeem could very well get a title shot. And I don't know who's going to fight next, though. That's the question, right? Um, after this performance, I mean, he looked great in this fight. Let's take a look at the rankings now. Let's take a look at who Alistair Overeem fights. Okay, so Alistair is actually ranked number eight. Now, looking ahead of him, number five is Derek Lewis. 
Has he fought Derek Lewis? I don't think they have fought. They've never fought. I think that'd be a good fight, guys. Derek Lewis or Al Thorogrim. Would you like to watch that fight? I would. Someone's getting knocked out. I think that's the fight to make. Just looking at the rankings quickly. Um, because also you have obviously JDS, who he's fought before, Blades, he's training partners, he fought before, Nagato's fought before, Derzino's fought before, Volkov is fighting uh, Blades, that guy's wiped out. The only guy ahead of over right now that's available is Lewis. So I think that's the fight to make, but I think a lot of other guys are going to be calling out Lewis too because he's ranked so high and they think they can beat him. So, I mean, we'll see what happens as far as the matchmaking goes, but I, I think Overeem for sure deserves a top 10 guy. I'd rather see him fight someone like that than, you know, an unranked guy that's kind of, you know, on the way up or something. But, uh, yeah, I mean, a lot of respect for Overeem. The guy has been winning fights at the highest level of sport for over 20 years now. I mean, that is absolutely incredible. He started fighting in 1999. He had his first win in October 99. And it's May 2020, and he's still winning fights. The guy's evolution has been incredible to watch. I mean, he's really changed over the years, obviously from a light heavyweight to a heavyweight, first off, but just the way he's fought. Like, he started off, he was mostly a, like a submission guy, and over the years, he's turned into a total knockout artist. Like, his last submission was in 2009, so it's been a while. He can still submit you. He almost had Wall Harris in that rear naked choke, but he chose to go for the ground and pound. It was the easiest way to finish the fight from where he was, and uh, got the job done. So, again, what... Alistair Overeem, I mean, geez, like, what else can you say about the guy? And for Walt Harris, you know, tough loss for sure, but uh, I don't think the UFC is going to hold it against him too much. I mean, the fact that he actually came back and fought six months after his daughter was killed is pretty remarkable, to be honest with you. Like, I, I think a lot of other people and fighters, you know, take a lot longer t um, of time off. So for the guy to come back like that is it, pretty remarkable. And, uh, you know, all the credit in the world for him for stepping up. but. Uh, it obviously was not his best performance. I don't think it's unfair to criticize his performance. I don't think he looked very good in this fight, guys. Um, just didn't have much gas. And when you're going to fight Alistair Overeem, you need more than five minutes because if you don't put him on early, he's a guy that gets stronger if the fight goes on, you know? Now, Overeem, he did get knocked down again, which is obviously scary. Every time he fights, it's like he's at risk of getting KO'd. As is every heavyweight, to be fair, but especially Overeem because he's got 14 knockout losses now. The next one will be number 15. So, you know, credit to him for surviving that. But, uh, you know, you put him against Derek Lewis, that's an interesting fight because Derek could obviously catch him and put him out quick. Or Overeem could survive that early storm and then start taking Lewis down and holding him to the ground and beating him up there, going for a ground and pound, maybe getting that submission for the first time in 11 years. So, you know, I think that's a really interesting fight. But, yeah, I was really impressed with Overeem. His resilience was pretty incredible to watch. And uh, Dan Merlot, the referee, let him go on, let him fight out of the position in the first round. And it obviously turned out to be a good decision by the ref because he came back and won. So, you know, I saw Dominic Cruz. He's still really salty about last week. And he said that to send the referee a gift basket, which it's funny, but at the same time, Cruz is so salty, man. Like, just let it go, dude, you know? Um, but I think the referee did a good job in this fight. I think the refs have been okay lately. You know, it's the judging on this card, especially that I'm going to talk about in a second. But uh, I think the ref did a good job here, letting him fight out of it. It looked like he was hurt really bad, but you know what? He was covering up, man. And Harris, he kind of just wasted his gas on that early barrage. And when he didn't put him out there, he was tired and exhausted. So it is what it is. Um, we'll see what happens. And for Wall Harris, you know, I'm assuming he'll get someone in the top 15 the bottom end of the top 15 for his next fight. I mean, they could give him someone in rank just to build his confidence back up. But, uh, you know, Walt, he's a he's a nice guy, and, uh, you know, I respect him for sure. But uh, I'm not really sure if he's a top 10 guy. Uh, I don't know. I, I think we need to give him one more fight against a top 10 guy at some point to just to see uh, with better circumstances, I mean, maybe later this year or, or next year even. 
Um, he's 36 now, so he's not exactly young, but at the same time, he's not super old for the heavyweight division. I mean, Overham's 40, still winning fights. So I think Harris still has a chance to make a run up the ladder, but uh, I don't know. Like, it's hard to say at this point, just because of everything that's gone on in his personal life and also just the fact that I think he is kind of one-dimensional. I mean, he's just a puncher. Like, that's all he has. Whereas a guy like Overham can kick you, punch you, take you down. Like, that's a true heavyweight. That's a well-rounded heavyweight. If Overham had a better chin, he'd probably be the champ right now. But unfortunately... He's had a lot of wear and tear over the years. Twenty-one years of fighting, you know, it's going to do something to your chin. And Overham's chin is not great, but had he, if he has a better chin, he uh, he knocks a lot of more people out, in my opinion. All right, let's keep going down the card. So, co-main event: Claudia Gadea defeats Angela Hill via split decision, 28-29, 29-28. 29, I did have Angela Hill winning this fight. I thought she won the. I think it was the last two rounds, but uh, yeah, I mean, very questionable call by the judges here. A lot of people thought Angela Hill won the fight. Uh, Claudia. You know, she's definitely on the decline. I don't think she's looked very good. Even the last fight against Random Mark was not a good performance. The Nina Ansaroff fight was not a good performance. The Carlos Barza fight, she won that fight, but not a good performance. He actually called Carla and she wants a rematch with her. So they might do that fight. It's an interesting fight, I guess. But uh, yeah, I think she's on decline right now. Angela Hill, this is someone Claudia a few years ago would sweep the floor with. You know, credit to Angela. I mean, she's definitely improved. And we've seen that in her last few fights. Um, she's looked pretty good lately with the three fight win streak, and I think she should have won this fight. So I think it should be a four fight win streak, but you know, for sure, uh, she's made some marked improvements in her fight. She kind of got screwed by the judges here, in my opinion. I wouldn't say it was a robbery by any means, but it was it was a close fight that probably should have gone to Hill's favor, if you ask me. Um, but uh, it definitely shows she can hang with someone in the top 10, so she'll probably get someone uh, highly ranked her next fight. Just looking at the rankings right now, I mentioned that Gadea and as far as it seemed like they're going to fight next it's number six for seven so that makes a lot of sense as far as angela hill goes she's actually unranked right now which surprises me i think she should be in the rankings like felice harrig is in the rankings uh tell me why i don't know why um she barely fights anymore and she saw it's like she's been having a lot of success let me check felice's record i'm not, not trying to throw felice under the bus you know it's pretty amazing how long felice has been like uh a ranked fighter for I remember seeing her years ago on that show, Ring Girls. Like that was in the you know 2000, maybe over 10 years ago. She was in Bellator 10 years ago. So you, you got to give credit to Felice Harry. But her last win was in 2017. Why is she ranked above Angela Hill? I don't get that at all. It's weird to me. So you know the UFC rankings they they do suck. We all know that they they have a, they need a lot of help. But uh, that one is one that they can make an easy fix. You know, bump Felice out and put Angela in the top 15. She deserves it, man. I'm not her biggest fan by any means. You know, but. Uh, I think she's looked pretty good lately. You know, you got to give her credit. So let's get to the next fight here. Danny against Ezra Barboza. Ige wins a split decision, 28-29, 29-28, 29-28. I did pick Ige to win this fight, but I thought Barboza won, guys. Honestly, I thought he won the first two rounds. First round, clearly Barboza knocked Ige down, hurt him bad. Ige survived it, good for him. And then third round, clearly Ige took Barboza down, held him to the ground, minus a ground pound. So those rounds were easy to score. It was the second round where it came down to. And, you know, Ige had a good start to the round for sure. But Barboza came on really strong late. And uh, he had Ige the ground length, some heavy ground and pound. To me, that did sway the round because I think he did the most damage in that round. I think he landed the most significant strike. So I personally thought Barboza won. Dana White thought Barboza won. Uh, I looked at the media scores. Most of them thought Barboza won as well. So I, I think of the decisions on this card, it was still a close fight, don't get me wrong. I think this is the closest one hovering in robbery territory. You know, I, I have a hard time throwing that word out there. But in this case, I, I do think that it was a decision that should have gone the other way. I think that Barboza should have won the fight. Um, I think he should have won his last two fights. And I'm starting to feel bad for this dude because the Paul Felder fight, he should have won that fight for sure too. 
So there's two straight fights where he's lost split decisions. His manager, Alex Davis, is going to appeal this decision. It's not going to go anywhere, just like the one at UFC 242 didn't. But he is building some awareness that, hey, you know what? If the judges are going to you know, score fights like this, they got to be held accountable. In this case, there is an argument you, you can make to scoring that second round for Dan Ige, but I, I don't agree with it. I think Barboza should have won the fight. you know. And this is coming for someone who picked Dan Ige to win. So it was a good fight. I mean, Ige looked uh, you know, good at times, and Barboza looked good at times. I like to see him fight featherweight again. I think he looked pretty strong, and he looked pretty lean and stuff too. So interesting fight for sure, but uh, I do think the judges got it wrong. Going to the next fight here, Christoph Jocko against Eric Anders. This is one of like the draw, duller fights on the card, I'd say. Uh, Jocko wins the United decision, 30-27, 29-28, 29-28. I'm not going to lie, I thought Anders might have a chance just because he was the one moving forward the whole time, but Jocko landed better strikes in the fight. Anders didn't land enough. He was pushing forward, but you got to land too. So I think the judges probably got this one right. Again, I had Anders in this fight. I was hoping he was going to get a robbery decision just to help my picks percentage, but that's not how, how it works. Uh, you know, judges actually got this one right. So good for Jocko. That's three fights in uh, winning streak for him, so good for him. For Jocko, he is ranked number – I think he was 15 last time I checked. Actually, he's not ranked right now, so I, I'm assuming he'll fight someone in the top 15 next. You know, looking at the bottom end of it, you got Akhmedov, Heinish, Carlos Jr., I think someone like that, Brad Tavares. Someone like that makes sense for Jocko in his next fight for Anders. I don't just say what I mean. At some point, um, you know, we all thought that he would be a serious contender at heavyweight and middleweight, but he's definitely struggled really bad in his last couple. Of, uh, not, I wouldn't say last couple of fights, but the last like batch of fights he's had, he struggled. He did win two fights in a row coming in this, but let's be honest, a lot of us thought that Mirshart should have beat him in that last fight, and then the Mirshart win was a legitimate win. But I mean, that guy's not that great, so. To me, Eric Anders is a guy that's been a little bit disappointing. I like him, though. I still think he can be an exciting fighter, but uh, I don't know what's going on with this guy. I think he's just got to turn up. Maybe take some more risks in a fight. He didn't take that many risks in this fight, and I think it kind of cost him. So we'll see what happens with Eric Anders next. I hope they, hopefully they don't cut him. I mean, they could end up cutting him because he's been a little bit disappointing, but maybe give him one more fight. But for Jocko, yeah, I mean, that probably earns my top 15 opponent. All right. And opening up the main card, we had Sonya Dong defeat Marlon Vera, United Station 29-28 across the board. This one, I don't really agree with either. I thought that Marlon Vera won this fight. I think it was the last two rounds that he won. Um, he landed the better shots, in my opinion. He had more gas in the tank. At, when they read the scorecards, Sonya Dong looked like a defeated fighter. Vera looked like he was going to get his hand raised. Somehow they gave it to Yadong. Again, I picked Yadong. It helps me out. But looking at objectively, I don't think he won the fight, guys. You know, I, I think Vera should have won this fight as an underdog. I thought Barlin Vera looked really good in this fight. I think both guys look pretty good. Again, it was a close fight. Don't get me wrong. I just think the judges still went the other way. It was a close fight. It was competitive. I wouldn't call it a robbery, but I do think Vera should have won. And to me, this guy's been super impressive. You know, this sucks for him, though. Saps a five-fight win streak. And uh, this is a guy that's one of the most improved fighters at Bantamweight. This was a featherweight fight, but, you know, still, this is an improved guy. Um, I think he could make a run for the top 10 at some point. I think, you know, had he won this fight, it'd be six in a row, and then you're talking about a big fight against a big name in the top 10. So to me, Marlon Vera has been nothing impressive. Yadong somehow won this fight, you know, looking at his resume. He's only 22. I love that about him. You know, he's so young. He's going to get better. And looking at his resume, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, nine fight and beating streak. But the last two fights against Vera and Stamen probably should have been losses. So, you know, this is a guy that he is six and oh now in the UFC. And that's impressive as hell. And I think this guy is a good prospect. But he could easily be 4-2 with two losses in the last two fights. So, you know, he's at Team Alpha. He's a good hands under the tutelage of your eye Faber. He'll be in good shape going forward in his career, I think. But, uh, you know, I think he's got to beat a guy like Marlon Barrett more decisively than 
the way he did because I, I think a lot of people are questioning the way the judges scored this fight, and, including me. So he's definitely a good prospect for sure, good striking, but got a lot to work on, especially his gas tank because he gassed out pretty hard in the third round. And Vera had this been a four or five round, a five round fight, Vera would have finished it probably in the fourth or fifth round. Gas move. All right, getting to the prelims here. Miguel Baeza knocks out Matt Brown in the second round. Great fights. Matt Brown looked good in the first round. Super aggressive as usual. He had Baeza hurt. Baeza survived it and then knocked Brown out in brutal fashion in the second round. You know, love Matt Brown. Veteran of the sport. I mean, he's like a guy that could be – I don't want to say he's a Hall of Famer because I don't think he's like one of the greatest fighters of all time. But, I mean, if he retires with like the most knockouts and wins in Walter history, you have to think about it, right? Um, <clears throat> this is a guy that's been around forever. He's on the Ultimate Fighter Season 7, Force Griffin versus Rampage Season. Been around forever, man. You know, 12 years in the UFC now. And uh, this loss snaps his two-fight losing win streak. The thing that scares me is the losses are coming by knockout. Three of his last five losses are by knockout. So that's scary. This is a guy that went, uh, you know, he started his career in 2005, and his first knockout loss was in 2016. So 11 years of knockouts, and then in the last four years, he's been knocked out three times. So that does scare me going forward, especially because he's 39 years old. He's going to turn 40 next year. He's still got some fights left in him, though, for sure. They won't cut him anytime soon. Matt Brown could probably lose four or five in a row, and the UFC will keep him on the roster because he's always in good fights. So love Matt Brown, but uh, Miguel Baeza is the guy to look out for. This guy's legit. He's due for a top 15 opponent at this point, I think. And a lot of guys are in the welterweight division, but I, I think, you know, looking at the rankings again, they're not good because you have guys like Conor McGregor in the rankings. Like, he shouldn't be in the welterweight rankings. You should have probably a guy like uh, Miguel Baeza banging on that top 15 at this point. I think he's that good. Who should he fight next? I'm not sure. But, uh, you know, there's guys like Mike Perry, Nico Price, guys like that, action fighters. Those are the kind of guys I'd like to see Baeza fight. And same with Brown. They can mix and match those guys. How about Matt Brown versus Mike Perry? Who the hell wouldn't watch that fight? That'd be a sick fight. So those are the kind of fights I'd like. And same for Baeza. You know, even if he's fighting a guy coming off a loss, if it's an exciting fight, I'll watch it. Next fight, Kevin Holland knocks out Anthony Hernandez in the first round, 39 seconds into it. Good performance by Holland. He's been pretty good in the UFC, man. Four and two, couple finishes. The guy's solid. I like this guy. He didn't even get enough time to talk crap about his opponent because that's what he likes to do. Great performance by him. I mean, I think he could have won a bonus. I should mention that uh, Yodong and Vera won fighting the night, which I think is well-deserved. That was a great fight. There's another fight I'll talk about in a few minutes. Actually, you know what else? I'll talk about the bonus at the end. But either way, I think Holland could have won a bonus. That's what I was going to say. You know, as far as Hernandez goes, he's uh, he drops to one and two in the UFC. Not too impressive. The two losses by stoppage. It's a guy that was from uh, the Contender Series. And to me, he hasn't been that impressed in the UFC. He'll get another fight probably. I'm assuming he fight, signed a four-fight deal with the UFC when he signed with them. So he'll get at least one more fight. If he loses that fight, I bet he gets cut. Uh, going to the next fight, this was probably one of the you know, not as exciting fights in the card. Jiga Chikigazi defeats Erwin Rivera. Short notice opponent. I mean, credit to this guy. He stepped up on like... 24 hours notice, apparently he drove to the arena, cut the weight, fought up a weight class, and still, you know, was somewhat competitive, but Jiga won 3-26, 3-27, 3-27. Solid performance by him. 3-0 now in the UFC. Seems like a great guy. Uh, you know, he's all about the knockout cancer thing, which I think is great, and uh, seems like a solid person. So, you know, hopefully he gets another you know, decent opponent in his next fight, uh, someone with a bigger name than Earl Rivera. Mike Davis was supposed to win three times. That fight doesn't seem like it's going to happen. It's like one of those cursed matchups like Habib and Tony. So it doesn't seem like that's going to happen anytime soon. Hopefully they give Jiga some, someone else. But, uh, you know, I think he looked pretty good in this fight. It's just time to see him uh, get a step up. And I'd like to see him get a finish. I think this is the kind of fight he should be finishing. You know, he, he gets a dominant decision. Good for him. But this is the kind of guy he should finish. Next up, Nate Landwehr defeats 
Aaron Elkins to be a unanimous decision, 29-28, 30-27, This, for my money, guys, was one of the best fights of the night. I think you could have given this fight of the night instead of Yadong and Vera, but a great fight. And, uh, man, these guys went at it. Uh, Nate Landwar is a is – a, he's crazy, man. He's a crazy guy, and I love it. Uh, you know, freaking out the whole fight, uh, moving forward, throwing bombs, keeping his hands down, chin up. It was fun to watch. I mean, his defense is not good. So going forward, he fights guys with, like, legitimate knockout power at 145. Like, if he fights a guy like Jeremy Stevens, he's getting KO'd. You know what I mean? So there's a lot of problems with this guy's game, but he's fun to watch. And a guy like Darren Elkins, who doesn't have knockout power, who doesn't present a threat in the feet, this is the kind of perfect matchup for uh, Nate Landwehr. And Nate, you know, to his credit, stuffed all the takedowns from Darren Elkins. Darren Elkins couldn't get the fight to the mat where he wanted it. Instead, he had to stand and bang. And, geez, he took a lot of damage in this fight. I mean, his face was cut up like crazy. You know, Darren's super tough. He's been around the sport for a long time. He's always bleeding in his fights. But this was probably the most he's bled in the fight. He had, like, four really big cuts on his face. It's the kind of fight where, like, he did survive, and he wasn't in danger of being, like, knocked out, I don't think, at any point. But those cuts were so bad that I think you could have stopped the fight just because there were there was one above his eye here, here. There was one on his forehead. There was one under his eye. But the ones above the eye right here, those are dangerous. So, you know, credit to this guy. He made the full three rounds, but he took a lot of damage. It's one of those fights where you wonder how many years it's going to take off his life. So, to me, you know, Eric Elkins now four-fight losing streak, but I don't think they cut him. I, keep, I think they keep Darren Elkins on the roster because – he has changed his style. He's not a boring grappler like he once was. He's a pretty exciting guy, even though he's a bit limited on the feet. You know, training a team off has helped him a little bit, but, you know, clearly he's got a lot of work to do with the striking. So uh, hopefully they keep him around. Don't know who he fights, but definitely not someone in the top 15. I don't think he's ranked anymore. Last two fights in the card. Courtney Casey defeats Mara Romero Barella via armbar the first round, and Rodrigo Nascimento defeats Dante Mays via rear naked choke in the second round. Really good performances by both Casey and Nascimento. Casey got taken down, but man, Perella, terrible, terrible fight IQ. Kept diving in the guard of someone who's so dangerous on the ground. That is just really dumb. Recipe for disaster. No good for Courtney Casey. And uh, she gets the, the win and the, the bonus there. And then Nascimento looked really good in his UFC debut over May. So I think probably gets cut. I think Perella gets cut too. They're going to make a lot of cuts after this uh, last batch of cards, last three cards. You know, you, you'd hope that these fighters would be on longer leashes because they did step up at the same time. You know, contender series is supposed to start kind of. Dude, I don't know if it's going to happen this year, but as soon as they open the Apex, UFC is going to be doing that. They're going to need roster spots to open up on the roster. So I think you'll see got fighters like Barella and Mays get cut. As far as the bonuses goes, uh, I already mentioned Dong and Vera one fight of the night, and I think it was well deserved. But I think you could have given it to Landor and Elkins too, because I think that was a really good fight. And then for performance of the night, Baeza won. That's a shoe win. Casey won the other one. I'm okay with it. I mean, listen, she hasn't won a bonus in a long time. Uh, it's been like five years since she's won a bonus. So, you know, this is a fighter that's always stepping up and fighting tough competition. So I I think the FC was kind of giving her some extra credit there. But, you know, I think it could have easily went to Holland because he ended up winning 39 seconds. For some reason, you know, he's a guy that's kind of in the doghouse of the UFC and Dana White. But uh, I think he could have won the bonus. Nessa Mental could have got it as well. And of course, Overeem could have got it too. But I think Overeem, with the amount of money he makes, he doesn't need it as much as someone like Casey. So I'm actually okay with then giving it to a preliminary card fighter. I just think I would have given it to Holland too, but I, I, you know, Casey's fine too. Overall, it was a great card, guys. It really was. You know, some really good fights and some great finishes. Just the judging kind of left a sour taste in everyone's mouth. But overall, an excellent card. And you know, this whole Jacksonville series I actually just wrote an article for MMA Rings on that. It should go up today. I'm hoping. I talked about all three of the cards, and I basically argued that it was a really successful week for the UFC. There were some hiccups along the way, as you can read in the article when you read it. 
But uh, I think overall, they did a really good job this week. Three solid cards. I think of the three, UFC 249 was probably the best one. This was the second best one. And then the one on Wednesday with Glover, that was probably like the weakest card. But it was still a decent card. So to me, overall, UFC did a great job. But again, credit to the fighters, man. The fighters stepped up and put on some great performances. So this is a good segue to talk about the next thing here. I only have a few things left on the agenda today, guys. Um <clears throat> So the UFC is supposed to hold a card on May 30th. Now, originally it was actually set for May 23rd in Jacksonville. When they did the original announcement, they said four fights in Jacksonville. It turned into three. Now Dana White was saying it's going to be in Vegas, but we don't know if the Apex is going to be open. So now White's saying that Arizona is going to be a spot for the card on May 30th. So uh, Gilbert Burns and Tyron Woodley looks like the headliner for that card. I don't think it's official yet, but that's the fight the UFC wants. And uh, those guys should be headlining this card. Probably it looks like in Arizona. So. Don't know where in Arizona it's going to be. I don't know if it'll be like where um, the Phoenix Suns play and the Coyotes play. I'm not sure if it's going to be there somewhere smaller. But, uh, yeah, I mean, that's definitely interesting that uh, they're going to go there. But it's a state that's opening up just like Florida. So I guess it makes sense. I think that we'll go to these kind of states where they're opening up things a little bit more. Um, you know, somewhere I think like Georgia where Marcus works. I don't know if Marcus is in the chat today. But Marcus, I think they're a little bit more lenient there with opening up uh, public places. So that would be somewhere they could look to. You know, they want to do it in Vegas. So, I mean, like White said, he built this private facility. It's just tough because of the whole social distancing thing. So I can understand why Vegas is telling him, you know, or Nevada is saying, you know, you can't do the card right now. But that could change very soon. It seems like a lot of uh, jurisdictions are getting a little bit more lax restrictions. Even here in Ontario, things are starting to open up, um, you know, slowly. So I think in the next you know few weeks, we'll, we'll start to hear uh, about more and more states and provinces opening up. But uh you know, hopefully it's Nevada and Vegas because that's where the fight should be right now. It should be at the apex. That's the best place to do it. But, you know, there's nothing much White can do other than try to lobby the uh, the senators and those guys and state governors or whatever in uh, in Nevada. All right, just a couple other things here. Uh, Tim Cejudo might not retire. So Ali Abdelaziz came out this weekend and said that uh, basically he thinks that Cejudo is going to fight again. It, I thought so too. I mean, when he's, when he retired, it seemed surprising. You go to the UFC website, he's still the champ. You know, to me, it was, it's a money ploy. He wants to get paid more money. There's just too many fights over Henry, uh, Henry Cejudo. He's only 33. So to for him to retire, I mean, right at the top of the game is something some athletes do. It's, it's very rare. Like Barry Sanders did that in football, for instance, but it's rare. You know, I think Cejudo will fight again, though. I don't see him giving up the, the belt just yet and all the money. I think they'll give him a better contract. He'll fight someone like Jose Aldo or, um, you know, Peter Yan next. I think those are the kind of fights he'll, he'll take on next. I don't see him retiring, guys, honestly. A couple other things here. Jason Herzog came out. He apologized for the roughing in the Anthony Smith fight. So he posted a uh, statement on his Twitter basically saying, you know, um, he could have did a better job and he wants to learn from the experience. You know, I, I don't really think it was his fault. I think it was the corner's fault. I've talked about this. I was obviously very fired up about it. It wasn't just me, though. I mean, I heard Chael Sonnen's podcast. He was super fired up, too. It was a terrible stoppage, um, non-stoppage, I should say. I, I think it was more so in the corner, though. But still, it was cool to see Herzog go and, you know, be a man and, and step up and say, you know what? I can learn from this. I can be better. I love that about him. So I, I, I always like people that are humble, and I always like people that, we can admit when they're wrong, even in, in a case where they're maybe not wrong, but they can go and say, you know what? This is my fault. I'll fix it next time. Love that about Jason Herzog. He is one of the best wrestling in business. You know, for him to get hung up to dry here is not really fair. Um, anyways, he apologized for the uh, Anthony Smith stoppage, non-stoppage. Haven't heard anything from Mark Montoya. He hasn't said anything. Guys just went into hiding, which I don't think is cool because I think he should have said something. You know, fans are wondering, 
Um, fellow fighters warning media is wondering, and he doesn't say anything. So I think Mark Montoya could have easily said something, but Herzog apologized. And then um, actually Anthony Smith has replied to Jason Herzog. He said that Jason Herzog is a coward. He said it was a coward thing to do to apologize. And fans are going off on Anthony Smith right now and for good reason. Um, he's not coming off very well. I think a lot of us like Anthony Smith, um, really good fighter, also great in the broadcast. He's a really smart guy. He obviously went through a lot the last few months with the home invasion, obviously losing this fight to Glover. Calling the referee a coward because he apologized. Come on, dude, that's so low. So, you know, I think a lot of people lost some respect for Anthony Smith after this. I'd like to see him write an apology. I don't think he will, but I think he should apologize to Jason Herzog. I think Jason did a fantastic job, um, not only, uh, you know, during his refereeing over the years, but I think he did a fantastic job after the fact here, which you can't say the same about Anthony Smith's corner. And again, I think it was 100% the corner's fault. But yeah, not cool on Anthony Smith's part, guys, honestly. And I've talked to some other people, um, you know, through DM and, and since I, we've seen the uh, exchanger, and a lot of people are losing respect for Smith by the minute. So especially fans, he's losing fans by the minute. Just not cool. This is not the way to handle a loss. Um, and uh, I don't think a lot of people appreciate it. So definitely not cool, but cool on Jason Herzog's part, man. That, that's, a, that's a real rough right there. Last thing I want to talk about here, Dana White. He uh, was asked at the press conference after UFC Florida, are there any fight? Are, basically, are you having any problems getting fighters to fight during the coronavirus pandemic? Are there any fighters who turned down fights? Now, we know that there has been a couple of fighters tested positive. We know Lyman Good tested positive. That's why he pulled out of UFC 249. We know Jacare Souza tested positive. That's why he was pulled from the card. Um, we also know Stipe Miosic has publicly admitted that he's not able to train right now and he's being a first responder. That's his uh, priority. So, David didn't mention those names. He just said, in, um, from what I'm aware of, Rose Namajunas is the only fighter that hasn't uh, wanted to fight during the coronavirus pandemic. And Rose, we know, a couple of her family members passed away from COVID-19. So it was kind of weird for Dana to kind of mention her name and almost throw her under the bus in the way. It's like he shouldn't have even said anything. I thought it was kind of strange. No one even batted an eye had he not said her name. So for him to specifically mention Rose was a little strange. I don't know what's going on behind the scenes, guys. I know that they've had problems getting Rose back into the cage since last May when she had the fight with Jessica. And obviously, before that was a year um, where she hadn't fought either because of the whole bus accident. Uh, but let's just say bus accident. It wasn't an accident. The bus incident where Carter threw the dolly through the bus window. So that shook her up. And, you know, a lot of fans are going after Rose now. It's not fair, guys. Seriously. Like, this is someone that, uh, first off, was a great champion. And uh, she's a great person, by all means. And not only that, but... She literally has had family members, according to her manager, pass away from the coronavirus. So to me, any fan going after Rose, is, it's so wrong. But it was kind of low on Dana's part to mention her name. It's almost like he threw her under the bus. I don't know if he intentionally tried to do that. And he didn't mention that, you know, he's only aware of Rose and there could be others. He wasn't sure. He said it's not a fact, but he's only aware of Rose. He did answer the guy's question. I'll give Dana credit in that. He did answer the question. But at the same time, I think that, uh, you know, it was kind of weird how he singled her out. Anyways, let's just see if there's any other news I want to talk about quickly here, guys. But I'm going to wind down the podcast. It's actually a holiday here, so it's probably just chill out. But uh, let's see. Um, okay, so I'm seeing right now Edson Barbosa is denied the ability to appeal the controversial decision of Dan Ige. I guess that makes sense. I mean, to be honest, like, it's, he's denying the ability to appeal. That's kind of weird, actually. I don't know. I, I, I'm assuming they, they would deny it anyway. So to me, it's like nothing changed there. Um, Overham's looking for one more title run. We all know that. Uh, what else here? Uh, Tom DeBlas, who is a former UFC and Belter fighter, and is actually a friend of mine, he signed with one championship. So interesting signing because Tom hasn't fought in seven years now. 
He is coming off two straight wins in Bellator. He had that fight with Jason Lambert, if you guys remember, where he knocked him out and then like prayed with him after. It was kind of weird, but uh, if you go if you guys go back and watch that one, you can see what I'm talking about. Um, definitely an interesting uh, guy for sure. Great grappler. Interesting um, signing here by one. Ben Rothball was another guy who's come out against the judging, calling it extra disgusting lately, which I thought was hilarious. Uh, Esparza accepted the rematch with Gadela, who called her out, but she told her to leave the grease at home because. Uh, Carla is a, basically accused Gadela of greasing during their first fight, which is very hard to prove, obviously, at this point. Um, Uriah Faber was asked about the stoppage in the Cruz fight. He said that the referee stopped the fight too early. Um, what else here? We all know that uh, Marlon Vera was not happy with the judges. He blasted them. He made some controversial comments as well. You guys can check it on his Twitter. I don't want to say what he said, but some people were calling him a racist. I don't know about that. I think he's just, you know, he doesn't know what this, the, the proper terminology but again go check his twitter you know what i'm talking about um let's see here what else we got here dana was asked about jones and Nagano basically said that he thinks that jones doesn't want that smoke it, it basically doesn't think that jones actually wants it but he doesn't actually think that uh Nagano wants that fight either here's something i didn't forgot to mention that's important kevin randleman was inducted to the ufc hall of fame kevin randleman was a, a great heavyweight for a, a short period of time from the late 90s to early 2000s He's a guy that Dana White loved. He's a guy that was actually really beloved by other MMA fighters. He was very respected in the sport. Um, for Mark Coleman to be there at the arena and crying, was it's very tough to see Mark Coleman's another Hall of Famer, one of the greatest heavyweights of all time. Um, it was a great moment, though. Obviously, the, the Hammerhouse, Team Hammerhouse was a great gym back in the day. Mark Coleman, Kevin Randolin. Kevin Randleman was the UFC heavyweight champion back in 1999. He beat Pete Williams, and then he defended against Pedro Rizzo. Uh, he also had a crazy fight against Brash Rudin, which was one of the worst decisions in UFC history where he lost a split decision. He had a tough run in, in Pride where he uh, went to after the UFC, uh, but he did have that famous win over Miracle Prokop by knockout when Mora went freaking out calling him the monster. Uh, the monsters knocked out Miracle Prokop. It was a famous uh, finish. You know, but some people are kind of not really too sure about this enshrinement because he's only 17 and 16 in his career, and his UFC record, is only uh, three, four, four and three. So not a great record, but I think you got to look just past the UFC stuff and, you know, the pride stuff's important too. And again, his record in pride was not a winning record either, but I think he did a lot more for the sport than a lot of people that are, you know, newer fans can recognize. You can't just look at these, these pioneers of the sport don't have great records. Like Maurice Smith, I'm pretty sure he's in the Hall of Fame if I'm not mistaken. He's in the Hall of Fame. Maurice Smith has a losing record in his career. Maurice Smith's record is... 14 and 14. So it's a, it's a 500 record, but still he doesn't have a winning record. He's in the hall of fame. So to me, it's like these guys that, that are pioneers, their records aren't great, but they were fighting the toughest guys every fight. And they were fighting like multiple times a night and they were fighting like guys that they didn't even train for. So I, I'm fine with that. Actually um, a lot of respect for these guys that are pioneers of the sport. So I think Kevin Randleman going in is fine. You know, I'm, I have nothing against it. There's other guys that should be in like Frank Shamrock. I saw that uh, Josh, uh, uh, What's his name on uh, the athletic Josh Gross's story about uh, Ken Sh uh, Frank Shamrock, and he was supposed to be in the Hall of Fame, but it didn't work out. So I don't know what happened there. But yeah, I, I'm fine with Kevin Randall being inducted, guys. And again, I know his record is not great, but he did a lot for the sport in the early days that a lot of newer fans it's hard to recognize just by looking at his resume. I think you got to look deeper than just looking at a guy's record. Let's see here. Um, Cole talked to Uriah Hall's coach, Saeed, uh, Saad uh, Saif. And uh, he said that he wants Uriah Hall to fight Uriah Romero next. I think that'd be a great fight. I tried getting Cole on today, but he was busy. So maybe he'll talk about it the next time he's on. And um, 
that's about it. Oh, Dan Hardy wants to fight Donald Cerrone. I think that'd be a good fight too. Let me get to some questions from Marcus. Hey, Marcus. Dana White should get some praise for having three successful UFC events during coronavirus. Some members of the MA media, I feel, wanted him to fail and would have a lot to say. 100%, Marcus, you're 100% right. There were a lot of people that wanted him to fail. I'm not one of them. I think the first part in April, that was too soon. But I think now that things are kind of like, you know, winding down a little bit. I'm still, it's still dangerous, don't get me wrong. But the way the UFC did these events was very safe, I think. I got to give them a lot of credit, man. They were testing everyone. It seemed like they were mostly practicing social distancing. They had the masks on, which was good. There were some things that, you know, I think could be questionable. Like the commentators were getting a little bit too close to the fighters in the cage, in my opinion. Um, and, you know, a lot of too much like high-fiving and stuff, I, I think, and hugging and stuff. I think that kind of stuff should have just been like, you know, you can't do this right now, guys, as much as you want to. But overall, they did a great job, you know. And there are MMA media members who want the UFC to fail. There are media members who want Dana White to fail. But you know what? They're stupid because you're just going to lose your job. What's the point of that? You can be objective and say, you know, I don't agree with it. But to go and actively root against the event, it's just, it's so dumb and it hurts everyone. So to me, it's just, it's not the right way to go about things. You're allowed to have an opinion. If you don't think the issue should be put on events, that's fair. You don't have to watch too, though. You know, that's the funny thing. A lot of people that were the ones complaining the last few months saying, you know, Dana White and UFC, what are they doing? They were the ones tweeting the most during the event. Tell me how that makes sense. Marcus Williams, Edson Barboza was robbed by the judges in his last two fights. I think he clearly beat Paul Felder last year in Ige. Marcus, I agree with you. I think he beat Paul Felder for sure. That Those scorecards were sketchy. I think it was like 327 Barboza, 327 Felder, and then 29-20 Felder, if I'm not mistaken. They were really sketchy. He was in Abu Dhabi. Um, I think UFC brought the – that's the other thing. I think the UFC did up the the, uh, the roughing assignments and the judging assignments for that card, and they were still bad. And I think Ige, I think he won that fight too, Marcus, honestly. He should be on a two-fight – or, yeah, two-fight win streak right now. Marcus, good show and keep up the good work. I appreciate that, man. I hope everything's going well with you, Marcus. Hope everything's going well with all of you guys uh, tuning in today. I appreciate it. If anyone has any last-second questions, throw them in right now, and I'll answer them and get out of here in a minute or two. Just going to go through some uh, other news because I did the last podcast Thursday. Um, you know, the one thing that I found interesting was Uriah Faber was actually at the event, and he weighed in just in case Don couldn't get the work fees in time, but uh, didn't end up fighting. But – you know, he looked in pretty good shape. You got to imagine he's going to fight again. So I'm not sure who Faber's going to fight, but maybe he fights Dominic Cruz again. I mean, it'd be the fourth fight. It's not like everyone's, you know, begging for that fight, but two legends of the game. That'd be a, a fight that uh, I think some people want to watch. All right. looks like no more questions. So I'm going to get out of here, guys. I really appreciate you tuning in. So you guys can follow me on Twitter at MMAdamMartin right at the bottom of the screen there. Uh, my podcast is called the MMA OB Daily Podcast. It's available at MMAOddsBreaker.com and on our YouTube channel this podcast can also be subscribed to via itunes please go and subscribe to it it's available on anchor spotify a bunch of other places please guys go and subscribe to the itunes i appreciate you guys can just you know spread the word a little bit trying to grow the podcast it's growing slowly but surely i understand i'm not at one of the bigger you know sites out there right now but i think we're doing a great job here at oddsbreaker um you know with a with a, a, a different look on the sport so you know, I appreciate you guys tuning in for sure. Also, check me out at bjpen.com. All the news is there. Uh, did a lot of news articles yesterday, so go back and check that out. MARings.net is the other place I work. And again, I have an article coming out today on the UFC and the successful Jacksonville series during the coronavirus pandemic. Appreciate you guys tuning in. I'll be back Friday for the next edition of the podcast. Have a great week, everyone. Enjoy yourself and stay safe. Bye.